Welcome to the hobby section. This is a show where we take a chance to talk about what makes the squares who become doctors well-rounded. A show where we take a big old bite out of the Lego castle your dermatologist has been working on when she gets home. It's a reminder to all of us, especially to doctors, that we are more than our work. I'm your host, Obi Wosu. I'm an otolaryngology head and neck surgery resident in Boston, Massachusetts, and this is the hobby section. This week on the hobby section, we welcome an old friend of mine, maybe a current friend still, I'd like to think so, Dr. Mike Teague, all the way from Bloomington, Indiana. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Obi, definitely still current friends. Thanks for having me on. Let's go, current friends. <laughs> um, Dr. Teague, Mike, Dr. Mike, Mikey, Mr. T. <laughs> Um, Any, I, I tell, as I tell my patients, you can call me anything as long as it's not derogatory. That feels very safe. Uh, dad, <laughs> um, you are a primary care provider in Bloomington, Indiana, primary care. Do you like it? Yeah, I actually really enjoy it quite a bit. Um, you know, every job comes with its pluses and minuses as you, uh, can expect, but, um, you know, I get to be with patients of all ages. I'm family medicine trained, so I take care of some kids. Um, and then, you know, as as old as you can go, I think I've got a patient that uh, is about 103. Um, interestingly, is as old as you go. <laughs> interestingly, I, I talked to her as she was probably the only patient of mine that has lived through two pandemics. Um, the first one which being was kind of fascinating. Polio? First one being the pandemic of 1918, the flu pandemic, the, wow. um, the Spanish influenza pandemic in 1918. My gosh. So that's crazy. So that was impressive. But yeah, I enjoy what I do. I get to take care of uh, folks um, of all ages, all walks of life. Uh, Bloomington, Indiana, for folks that don't know where that is, it's where Indiana University is. And so we've got a very large variety of patients that come through the doors, um, some farmers, professors, um, you, you name it. I'm, I'm seeing them and helping them try to live more healthier lifestyles and, um, you know, helping them with their chronic disease management and things like that. So, yeah, being with people in some of the toughest parts of their lives, especially over the last couple of years through the pandemic, has been uh, really rewarding for me. And for that one patient through the last... I don't know. I guess maybe you weren't with her in the Spanish influenza, but you're with her now. <laughs> no, and that's what matters. I was definitely not. That's correct. <laughs> Mr. T, Mike, tell me, when did you have your first drink of whiskey? It's okay. This call is not being recorded. <laughs> I actually, you know, I'm, I'm a little, uh, as you said, square, right? Um, I did not drink until I was 21. Uh, bingo. Um, nice. The first I... <laughs> lie of the episode. Mike didn't drink until he was right. 21. Okay, great. First lie done. <laughs> now I'll ask the question again. When? I'm kidding. Go ahead. So you didn't drink until you were 21. That's right. But I didn't actually have whiskey probably until I was a resident. I did my family medicine residency at uh, Franciscan St. Francis Health in Indianapolis. And I decided one day you that needed something I wanted a little to... bit stronger. Residency had set in and you were like, boy, 
This is tough. Yeah. You know, I, I, at the time, um, you know, my wife, I had two kids under three and I was a first or second year resident. Um, and I decided I, I wanted to get into scotch. I, every show I watched the fancy guys were always drinking scotch. And so I thought Mm. I'm going to make myself like scotch. I'm going to be a fancy guy. That's right. (laughs) Tell me, Mike is now I feel like a fool. I tried, I didn't read that much. I didn't read it all. But I thought I'll look up a little bit about whiskey or try to think about whiskey before the episode. So I don't sound like a fool when I talk to this guy who loves whiskey. Truly, you said when I asked you what your hobbies were, you were like, my hobbies are whiskey and baseball. So I'm like, this guy's going to know everything about whiskey and I can't sound dumb. But now I'm going to sound dumb. Are scotch and whiskey the same thing? So scotch is a type of whiskey. And it's okay. a common a common question. Common question from uh, there who? Are... Morons like me? Uncultured <laughs> dimwits? That's right. Uncultured swine. Right. You got it. Uh, no, no. Um, whiskey has very multiple different varieties underneath that larger category. Mm. Um, there's scotch whiskey, there's rye whiskey, there's wheat whiskey, there's bourbon. Um, now there's Japanese whiskey. Um, and there wasn't Japanese whiskey beforehand. Well, it's becoming a bigger thing. It probably has existed for a long time, but um, Japanese whiskey has taken a page out of Scotch's playbook. They basically make their whiskey very similar to the way Scotch is made, but they make it, of course, in Japan as opposed to in Scotland, so they can't call it Scotch. But Mm. it's heavily influenced by Scotch and how Scotch is made. That is crazy. Um, what was I going to ask? I was going to ask, I was going to ask, hum, 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 hum. oh, 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 is rye whiskey related to the bread, rye bread? Uh, no, other than you use. That's inter- um, incredibly confusing. <laughs> uh, unless you use, uh, the, the one thing they do have in common is the rye spice. So one mm. of the things that all whiskey has in common is it's a distilled grain. Um, so scotch, generally speaking, is higher in barley, for instance. Rye mm. whiskey tends to have a the highest percentage of the distillate is made with rye spice or the rye um, uh, grain. So in that way, rye bread and rye whiskey have that in common. They come from the same grain. That's right. They come from the same grain. Wow. Though, when you drink a rye whiskey, um, very often, a lot of the flavor profile you can get, uh, rye grain is pretty spicy. If you've ever tried just the grain itself, it I'm has not, a little bit of spice to it. I hate rye bread, so, actually, so I kind of steer clear yeah. of anything that has rye in it. So the rye, the rye whiskey is a little bit spicier, um, so it's a great like fall and winter drink. Um, because it warms you up pretty good. Mm. Um, it uh, definitely warms you up if you've had too much of it. Hey, oh, uh, <laughs> you said it, not um, me. That's right. Um, and you know, you, you can also get like the baking spice too, which is a little bit different. So it actually almost smells like rye bread, um, depending yeah. upon how it's aged and things like that, that which sounds, sounds like you would be me. a huge fan of. Yeah, you would love know. it, it sounds like. Mm, it almost feels like you're hearing the opposite of what I'm saying. Mike, tell me. <laughs> Next time I come out to Boston, I'll bring you a rye whiskey, okay? Okay, I'm not going to let you inside. When you had your <laughs> first drink of whiskey, was it love so, at first whisk? 
No, definitely not. Wow. Um, when I had my first whiskey, um, it was a lot of, um, it, it felt like you were drinking fire um, very often. That's so, what it feels like to me. And I, every time I drink it, which isn't all that often, I think this fad seems made up. I don't think people yeah. really like this because this is unpleasant. It, it's truly like you've met some, I'm sure, some wine connoisseurs, right? Folks that will sit around and they kind of swish their glass of wine and they sniff it and they've got just the right glassware sure. and, you know, things like that. Whiskey is very similar. Almost no one sits down at their first glass of wine and tastes it and goes, oh, I get such and such a taste out of this and mm. just like and choose their wine and get the full experience. Whiskey is very similar. In that, uh, after I had a little bit of it, um, I started realizing that this was a whole experience. So sure. drinking whiskey for me is not just to have alcohol. It truly is. I'll have a, an ounce or two of a whiskey, you know, generally three to five nights a week. And it's after dinner and I'm just sitting down relaxing and I want to sip on this for an hour or two. That's a, um, for, small it's sips. one to two ounces for an hour or two. I feel like my lips are too it. big for that. That's probably, <laughs> that's the rate limiting step for me. My lips, they're too large to sip for an hour and a half. So, so you're telling me three to five times a week, you sit down for an hour with two ounces of whiskey. Where do you go in your mind when you're drinking your whiskey? Is that, are you, I mean, that just seems like it would get old, I guess is what I'm saying. But for you, this well, is your primary depends. hobby. You love it. That's right. So I will very often, I'll like, I'll be sitting watching a TV show with my wife and my kids. Um, mm. And so I'm just having it while I'm watching TV. Mm. Um, you know, maybe once a week I'll have a buddy over. And this is probably my favorite thing to do is I will have my wife pour three or four different whiskeys into eight glasses. Whiskey so, roulette, you know, in a sense. That's right. And so I don't know what each glass has in it. It's a blind tasting. And so my friend and I will each have four different whiskeys in front of us and we'll decide which one we like the best mm. without knowing what it is. Plot and twist, then it's apple juice. My wife will then show us, oh, here's what they all were. And you'd be surprised how often you'll pour like a $15 bottle of whiskey and pick it over the $80 bottle of whiskey um, now because I the price know, does not actually matter. I have to know, what is the most expensive bottle of whiskey you've ever drank? I overheard people talking about whiskey last year, and they weren't exactly my crowd. You know, you mentioned earlier that I know people who sniff their wine. I actually steer clear of people like that, generally. Just <laughs> in a general rule of life, I don't really mingle with them much. But I heard these people talking about whiskey, and they're like, oh, this bottle, $200, $300, $400. You wouldn't really want to impress your father-in-law? This bottle, six. And I was like, you guys make me sick. But I won't judge you, at least on this call right now. Maybe I will later. Tell me, what is the most expensive bottle of whiskey you've ever bought? The most money I have personally ever spent on a whiskey is $250. That, what, it was a whole bottle? Yep, for the whole bottle. How big it was, was the a, bottle? It, most whiskeys are sold as 750 milliliters. Hmm, curious And so size. this was a, a, typical, a typical bottle. Um, what was and this the one was, um, it was, uh, it was really no special occasion. It was... These the the problem with when you really get into whiskey, 
you can go into any liquor store and buy just a bottle of whiskey, right? But because, as you referenced, there's this fad right now where everybody's into it. Everybody. Uh, it is very, very, very difficult to find what are called allocated whiskeys. So oh. whiskeys they don't make much of. Huh. Okay. And I happen to have a friend of mine who um, was able to find me a bottle of something very rare. Um, and so the reason I spent $250 is because I will never get an opportunity to buy that bottle again. Wow. So hold on a second. There's several things in here. There's one, there's something called allocated whiskeys. So that someone, someone in the world, is there a whiskey, uh, like advisory board that says how much of one kind of whiskey can be made? So it stays rare. No. So actually it's worse than that. So most oh, no. whiskeys are aged. 10 years. Well, it, most of them are at least aged four years, but a lot of the better ones are aged, you know, eight to 12 to 15, even 23, 25 years. That's um, as long as I've been alive. So, right. So if, if all of a sudden there's a whiskey boom, like what we're experiencing over the last decade, meaning people's takes, interest in whiskey has increased. That's right. All of a sudden whiskey is, Amongst guys specifically, but also amongst women mm. aged, you know, 25 to 50, that is a very popular thing right now. And so when that happens, the market can't respond fast enough. Oh, because they and only all started sudden, making the whiskey like 10 years ago. That's exactly right. Like, so darn it. We should have made more whiskey. But now they're 15 right. years so, behind. For instance, one of the most popular uh, distilleries in, in Kentucky is Buffalo Trace. And a lot of the things that they make, they make things like Pappy Van Winkle um, and some of these things that you just can't. What's this is called? one of those types of bottles you can Pappy Van Winkle? That sounds like a joke. <laughs> well, the Van Winkle family has been doing whiskey for, you know, a hundred years. Oh, and Now I'm nervous. Uh, I feel like I just offended a some sort of important person <laughs> in the whiskey world. You're like, but well, they, I will they make watch some it, good buddy. stuff. <laughs> But their their uh, their whiskey is highly sought after, and they are building two brand new warehouses. And I I don't want to be wrong on the number, but you know you can you can fit thousands of barrels of whiskey in a warehouse, and they're building <laughs> several new ones thousands over the last of five years. Of whiskey, that's a lot of whiskey. That's a lot of Pappy well, Van each, Winkle. Each, that's right, and each each barrel can hold roughly two hundred and fifty or so bottles. So if you think you've got 10,000 barrels, you've got a tremendous number of bottles of whiskey there. Um, so the, the distilleries are doing the best they can to catch up with the demand, but the Van they're Winkles, 10 years behind the A-ball. The Van Winkles are working, frankly, as hard That's as they right. can. They're doing as much exactly as they can. That's exactly correct. But the, you got it. the twist here is that in 20 years, when all this Van Winkle whiskey is ripe and ready for the drinking we might be out of the whiskey boom. And then they're just going to be That's sitting a, on these big old bottles, these big old, big old barrels full of bottles of whiskey and no Mr. T's to drink it. That Yeah. And you're exactly right. So therein lies the problem with the distilleries. You know, do you actually produce enough to take care of the demand now? Or do you just try to make enough to make it feasible that people might be able to find some of these but we don't want to overplay our hand and be left with thousands and thousands of barrels of whiskey that we can't sell. So now I'm wondering, is there a field of economics 
related to whiskey sale? Like, how do you predict the next whiskey boom or how long this whiskey boom will last? You know, I, I know that that exists, but I, I don't know much about that specifically. But I do know that there are people that are being paid a lot of money to try to predict all these things. Wow. But it also has created another opportunity where, you know, let's say, a particular distillery has a ton of barrels lying around that they don't know what to do with. It's a bunch of barrels. Another, uh, uh, yeah, uh, some new, they call them, sometimes they call them orphan barrels. Um, but then other, like, newer people into the market that, Maybe they're starting a new distillery, but all their whiskey is only two years old. They'll go and buy your 10-year-old barrels That's a baby and bottle barrel. it. That's right. <laughs> big old, big old baby so, barrel. I don't want any of your baby yeah, barrels. There's a whole thing about all this, and they call that sourced whiskeys, meaning you, you, you didn't make it at your distillery, uh, but you went and bought it from somebody else and put it in your bottles, and they call it sourced. I see. So you really only have baby barrels, but you know someone that has big boy, big billion. I don't know what I'm saying with all the bees, but you know someone that has a bunch of old barrels and you just buy their old barrels, their old crinkly wrinkled barrels, and then you sell it in your bottles. You got it. Wow. And do you tell people that it's, do people know when they're buying it that it's sourced whiskey? If you know what you're doing, you can sometimes surmise. Um, you they don't the usually drinker. say, yes, if the whiskey drinker knows enough, because very often the bottle will say where the product has been distilled mm. and where the product was bottled. And so if you read it, uh, there in Indiana, in fact, there's a place called MGP. MGP is a huge sourced whiskey. They just make a bunch of whiskey and sell it to everybody else. Mm. They don't really bottle their own stuff very much. So a lot of bottles will say uh, distilled in Indiana and bottled by, you know, whatever company it is that's that's got it. Mm, bottled by the Van Winkles. Is that, that's, yeah, is that bottled, bottled by Buffalo Trace or bottled by Heaven Hill or, you know, name name the distillery. Um, I see. You know, or, or it'll say the state. Like there's a couple distilleries out in Nevada, for instance. And so it'll say distilled in Indiana, bottled in Nevada. Uh, so you kind of got to read the fine print on the back of your That's bottle right. to find out what you're drinking. Yep. Wow. So, Mike, tell me, why whiskey still? I get it. When you first had it, you were like, ooh, I want to be one of the fancy guys. And then <laughs> you kept drinking it, even though it didn't taste that good. And now you're drinking it you know, 15, 20 years later, you've got this passion for whiskey. You're, you would say it's a hobby. Why? I mean, why are you still drinking whiskey? So there's a couple of reasons. One, as a scientist, I find it fascinating. Um, whiskey is really made with, you know, four or five different ingredients. You've got, you know, rye, barley, and corn, uh, or you might substitute wheat for the rye. And then you've got water, yeast, and a barrel. And that's it. That's really all you're putting in this product. And you have hundreds and thousands of different whiskeys that are made with these five to six different ingredients just by mixing and changing the amount of each type of um, grain that might be in the distillate, 
and the wood that's being used to age it in and how long it's been aged and where it's being aged. I find that absolutely fascinating. What role, um, what role does the barrel play in the taste of the whiskey? Cause sometimes I see on these commercials, they're showing these, they're in a warehouse, right? There was a, there was a commercial like years ago with Myla Kunis, I think is her name. And she's walking through uh, and it's like, there's these big old barrels and they're dripping with whiskey at the seams. And I'm like, why are they advertising the the wood barrels that much? Why do I care about that? So tell me, what role so, does the barrel play in the taste of the whiskey? The barrel plays the like almost all of it. No way! <laughs> it's so fascinating. So the different the different ingredients, of course, are massively important. Sure. But if you put so basically the idea is you put whiskey in this wood barrel, mm-hmm. and then with the temperature change. When it gets really hot, the whiskey gets pushed into the wood, and then when it gets cold, the whiskey comes out of the wood back into the barrel, oh. and you have this process is repeated over and over and over again. That's kind of over gross. the course of, however, yeah. So when you're when you're taste, <laughs> when you actually pour these out, yeah. <laughs> when you if you ever go to watch them bottle this stuff, they will they filter it because there's usually pieces of wood. In the distillate, um, oh, and man. there's a lot. There's a lot of what's the deal um, with like people oaky... pouring wood chips in their drink? <laughs> well, that's why they filter it. <laughs> I don't know. I but mean, they... the idea that my drink was made by wood being just soaking up juice and then squishing it out over and over again for <laughs> ten years yep. sounds gross. Yep. Yep. Well, and so there's actually a product made by a big distiller, uh, one of the big, big brands that really all they do is they take the empty barrels after they put, they've filled them, mm-hmm. filled bottles of something else, and they put the barrels under tremendous amounts of pressure mm-hmm. to squeeze all the oh my whiskey gosh. out of the wood, and then they bottle that, and it's a special product for that distillery. What is that product called, and how much does it cost? Do you know? <laughs> it's not. I, I, I'll, I'll save the name because I don't want to make. I want to make sure I don't get it. I don't want to get it wrong. But it's a. There's a. It's a Jim Jim Beam product, and I want to say the bottle you can buy for around twenty to thirty dollars. Oh, okay. Okay. So they're like their ultra filtrated wood drink is not like super expensive. That's right. Okay. Because it sounds gross. So I'm like, they can't be ripping <laughs> well, people off by depends, selling them. It really depends on your palate. My my best friend. Um. He really likes his whiskey to taste very oaky um and i I, that's not my preference and so frankly if you if you understand the way the wood impacts the whiskey the older the whiskey the more oaky the whiskey tastes right so he really enjoys the older whiskeys things that have been aged 15 20 25 years i prefer my whiskeys a thousand times I, I prefer my whiskey roughly between eight and twelve years old because I don't like that over oaky taste. You don't like um, licking wood. That's correct. And there are some that truly will taste like taking an oak tree and putting it in your mouth. <laughs> um, and I'm specifically saying oak because a majority of the whiskey that I drink is categorized as bourbon, and you have to use brand new American oak barrels to make it a bourbon. I so I, I'm saying oak because that's what they're using right. most of the time for bourbon. Um, but, you know, scotch 
you can use you can use reused barrels. So there's a whole aftermarket for these barrels. So Scotland will buy all these bourbon barrels because with bourbon you can only use the barrel one time. Once it's used, you gotta get rid of it. There's a lot of bees so, in this game. Bourbon barrels, big brands, buffalo. Wow. <laughs> that's a good so anyway, business. I could I could go on for for hours and hours talking about that, but the one of the the other main reason, other than it being fascinating, mm-hmm. I have had, and I, I know that this conversation is mostly about how do you stay kind of true to yourself as a physician. It's right? true. This um, is this is the point of the podcast, though we got off and, talking and I will about say, Buffalo Trace. Yeah, <laughs> the, drinking whiskey to me has created a entire group of friends Mm. um, and the amount of great conversation that I will have with um, other men specifically on my back porch Mm. over a glass or two of whiskey, just talking about the world and talking about life, um, talking about faith, talking about all of those things Mm. on, and on my back porch um, has been, um, otherwise there's no way that that would happen. Most of the time, men specifically for friendships and relationships, in my experience, need to have something in common, something you're doing, you, you, you know, guys, guys will go and you and your guys need a glass of whiskey to just, yeah. to just, to just gel and hit it off. Absolutely. And so I, I have had a lot of really uh, great conversations and develop some very deep friendships on my back porch over glasses of whiskey. And that is something that keeps me from burning out. I see. Uh, we don't sit out here and talk about medicine. We don't talk about the pandemic. We don't talk about, you know, Hey, can you take a look at this spot on my arm? Um, That's we gross. talk about life. We talk, talk, we talk about, about kids. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we talk about our, our families, um, our, our dreams, where we, where, where the country is like things that are not medicine related, which is, I think one of the most important things that a physician can do to stay healthy yeah. is to make sure you're surrounding yourself with things that are not medicine, get so, you an outlet. And whiskey has been in a sense, a gateway to those conversations. Oh, absolutely. It's been a yeah, gateway it's been, drug. It's been something that we could do. That's right. The gateway drug. You got it. Yeah. That's very good. That's 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 really reassuring. Mike, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and schooling me on the world of whiskey. I think the world of whiskey is much bigger than I recognize, and I have a lot more learning to do. But now I know that for only $20, I can go to a liquor store and buy wood juice, and it's going to taste like a tree. Um, seriously, Mike, thanks for being on the show. This has been great. It's always nice to talk with you. Um Thanks, Obi. I appreciate it. Are you a doctor with a hobby? I hope so. If you've got a hobby that you want to talk about, I probably want to talk about it too. Shoot me an email at thehobbysection at gmail.com or tweet me at hobbysection. Tell me about your hobby in as many or as little words as you like. I'd love to have you on the show. My name is Obi Wosu. This has been The Hobby Section. <laughs>